And welcome to another episode of the SD Perel Show. I'm Justin Thin, joined by my high-energy co-host, oh, as yeah. always. Oh. Matt, how you doing on this fine Sunday late evening? Impossible to be down in the dumps, Justin. We got the sweep in men's basketball over Michigan. We got the sweep in women's basketball over Michigan this season, too. Hockey didn't even play. They didn't even touch a puck this weekend, Justin. And they still got favorable results from the Wisconsin-Ohio State series. So, Justin, how am I doing? How can you be a Michigan State fan and not be doing beautiful on this Sunday? Justin, I'll bounce it right back to you. How are you doing over there, man? We doing okay? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's a good, good afternoon here in snowy, cold Michigan. And, um, you know, I think the groundhog kind of lied, Matt. Groundhog kind of kind of had too much uh, too much dip on his ship, predicting that we wouldn't have a longer winter. But, you know, it is what it is. We've been prepared for this. It builds, builds character. Right. Builds regret. Getting it out of the mud, as the exactly, kids say. and that's right. Exactly, it hasn't been like as bad as I thought though this winter. And I know that everyone tunes into the SD4L show to like just banter about weather, uh, just general small talk topics. But really, like we haven't been shoveling too much, and I do wonder if like I'm getting a little too excited knowing yes. that March is coming up because. Yes. We'll be talking like this, and the next thing you know, on March 18th, like we will be shoveling eight inches out of our driveway. And, you are absolutely correct, yeah. Matt. And not only in March, but you will be doing the same in April. <laughs> I, vividly, I vividly remember uh, when I was a junior in high school, we came back from a spring uh, break trip to Toronto, and it was snowing a blizzard on the way that's back. Terrible. So that's terrible. That's that, no way to live. That is how I anticipate this this April to go. But and and less depressing topics, Matt. I like I like yeah. your selection of of topics to kick off the show. Oh yeah, some oh, yeah. great stuff uh, on the hardwood from both the men and the women of Spartan Hoops. Um, but first, Matt, do you want to yeah. talk about that, or do we want to talk about our favorite topic as always, and that oh, is recruiting? We will get to the actual games that were actually played over the weekend. But yeah, why talk about the present when we could talk about the future, Justin? Mm. Recruiting, namely 2025 recruiting, 2024. It's a wrap. It's a, it's already in the history books, Justin. It happened many moons ago as far as recruiting cycles go. But here we are, jumping to 2025. And right here, I'm on your beautiful website over here, 247sports.com. Mm. And I'm looking at Big Ten recruiting cycles here. Penn State already 11 commits. Ohio State right. 8 commits. Oregon 5 commits. I'm noticing a lack of commits from Michigan State. And we could talk about, hey, who are the names that could be committing soon? But really, that even seems like we're putting the cart in front of the horse, Justin. So, in your expert opinion, what are the next steps for Michigan State as far as 2025 goes? Mm -hmm. And when does the recruiting board even start being built out? Or are we already in those phases right now? Is it already built out? Where does Michigan State stand yeah. in 2025 recruiting? Just zoom it all the way out. Right. Let's head. Very, very good question. So it when does. it comes to the recruiting board being set, um, obviously it's different when the staff has been there for a while. Like let's say if, if Smith's staff was here last year and they've hosted like tons of kids during in-game visits and stuff like that, right? So like setting that aside, let's just take a look at the exact situation the staff is in of kind of getting here in, in November and December and not hosting kids for games. They're basically starting from scratch in terms of their recruiting board from November on. So December, they didn't really get to do much. They visited some high schools, yeah. mostly in the region. Uh, I know Brian Lindgren went out to California, met with some quarterbacks, um, some guys out there on the Pacific Northwest with Coach M too. But for the most part, it was them just getting their name out there and shaking hands with Midwest high school coaches. Now you flip the page to January. Um, that's when they have more time. They're not worried about the portal. They're not worried about finishing the 2024 class. They're pretty much focused on just 2025. 
They did a great job once again visiting the high schools, visiting the prospects. Also now at the end of January, first week of February, you're looking at junior days. That's where, as we talked about a couple episodes ago, they had like 55 kids right. from the Midwest yeah. that had an FBS offers. So again, you're starting to see, all right, they're attracting these Midwest kids here. They're kind of using the kids that can drive up here and using that to fill up their visit weekends and stuff like that. Um, also, kids that are susceptible to the cold weather already, kind of not a shock for them. Yeah. So they haven't really gotten a chance to zoom out and get the kids from outside of the region in the East Lansing yet. So because of that, I would definitely say the recruiting board is not full. And even the kids in the region that are coming up, how many of them are coming up, A, because it's convenient and that's just one of the schools you should hit versus how many are coming up because they truly like the staff, truly like the school, truly know them well and have great relationships. That's hard to say. So when, when could we say? So that's where I would say a lot of the kids I talk to, um, a lot of the in-state kids, um, your Elijah Dotsons of the world, Avery Gatches of the world, yeah. kids are going to be coming for spring practice visits. And that's where the interests and relationships are going to increase. And that's where they're going to get to know, like, this is how the coaching staff does practice. This is how they do meetings. This is how um, the team is like when they're around them. So when that starts to happen, they get a better feel. Some kids might be willing to commit in April. Some kids might then push it to spring visits. But that's when you start to get some genuine interest from the in-state kids. Also, it's going to be when you start to get initial interest from the out-of-state kids. And then to figure out which of those kids have interest, you want to see which ones are using official visit weekends to come up here. And I get official visits are unlimited going forward, but you have a limited amount of weekends that you have the availability to take them. So you have your four weekends in June. And the fact of the matter is, I guess you could miss school the first couple of weeks of June and come in the middle of a week. Probably can't do that at the end of the week, but you're still not taking more than like five, six, seven, eight OVs, even with this rule. And I talked to recruits. They said, yeah, it's great. We can take more, but we don't have the time to be flying out for three weekends all the time. Not when they play basketball, play track, all this stuff. So it still is kind of limited, just not by rule anymore. So when you start to see kids, especially from around the country, fly up to Michigan State, in my opinion, that's really when you know the recruiting board. When kids are allocating three-day trips to come to your school, that's when I know, all right, this kid's mutually interested in Michigan State, and Michigan State liked him enough that they're using funding on him to have him come up. So for me, the recruiting board truly isn't set in terms of a holistic view until the summer. Mm-hmm. With that said, spring, when those kids are starting to be around sp- spring practices, excuse me, and, and especially the Midwest kids that have already been up here in January, they've met the coaches in January, those kids could start committing in April. So that's the way that I would describe it is, Overall, you start to hear some popular names and stuff here in the next coming months, especially in the Midwest. I wouldn't expect any non-Midwest like kids to commit before late spring, early summer OBs, but we'll see kind of how it plays out. But I don't think that they're behind or anything like that. And I think that's kind of how I view the concrete nature of when you can start to put recruiting boards together um, in terms of recruiting cycles. And the reason, like, they are, let's just use the term, for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. behind right. right now. It's not the fault of, you know, Jonathan Smith or mm-hmm. his staff. It's just the fact of the matter that that's just what happens when you do have a coaching change in the offseason. Right. Like, that's kind of summing it up right there. Uh, yeah, so don't expect this to be a thing that just happens year after year where, mm-hmm. oh, my God, we're always sitting at zero recruits committed right. while everyone else is sitting at, like, eight or nine already for the class. So, hey, it is what it is. I do, I do got to bring up, though. On February 15th, mm. you and the four horsemen over at 24-7 Sports Recruiting for Michigan State, Stephen Brooks, Corey Robinson, Alan Truechains, and of course yourself, all logged crystal balls for Desmond Stratton. 
which by the way, that name just goes hard. Something about Stratton, yeah. just like, whew, that's a fire name. You want that yep. on the back of a jersey. Three-star out of Roseville, Michigan. Uh, you guys put crystal balls in for him. So you just explained the whole calendar, not to mm-hmm. expect anything anytime soon. But right. hey, when us Spartan fans yeah. see crystal balls going to one guy, are we on the one-yard line for Stratton? Or do you know any timeline with him? Or anyone else that you're even close to making crystal balls on if you want to take it even further. Right. So with Stratton, um, that is not a commitment we anticipate anytime in the near few weeks or maybe okay. even a couple months. But he's one of those candidates that could commit during the April visits once he sees the coaching staff at practice, once he sees how the team is around them. And he might be one of those guys that might not wait for the OVs. Now, he okay. told Alan True that he would like to take OVs, but he also said there's no necessary reason for him to delay to that point if he doesn't feel like it has to be Mm -hmm. so with that said why are we kind of trending in this direction so early with the last coaching staff they did not really visit roseville much at all um i would say that and i don't have the exact numbers but i I would like to say almost that jonathan smith and his staff the two visits they took to roseville were more than the mel tucker staff did in all four years they were here now granted granted the tyrell henry recruitment Um, was still under the umbrella of COVID and the dead periods and all that. And um, you didn't really need to take a a school trip. If you're basing it just on prospects being worthy of Michigan State offers, you didn't really need to take one the next two years. However, the thing with Smith and the staff is they don't really look at it that way of how many worthy prospects you have at MSU. It's just or of MSU's offering level, they just go and they just they shake hands. They want to be known to every Midwest coach they can. Coaches move around, coaches talk. So their thing is just building relationships. But anyway, back to kind of Roseville and, and, and Desmond Stratton. That was one of the biggest changes right away when they got here is Desmond Stratton even told Alan True where he's like, yeah, these coaches kind of came up here right away, made themselves known, and it was so refreshing to see. That's me paraphrasing, not the direct quote, but yeah, sure. that right there was what drew him to Michigan State. And these in-state kids, like they grew up, they're like either wanting to play for Michigan or Michigan yeah. State. Seems like he was more of the Michigan State side of that aisle, even though I don't, I don't have any intel of him being a diehard or going to games with season tickets or anything like that. Gotcha. So with all of those signs lining up and the fact that Michigan State is going to make them a priority and they don't kind of just pull back for no reason based on how we've heard the staff has operated from their Oregon State days – we all feel that the trajectory and the foundation they've laid today is going to be hard for anyone to overcome going forward. So they've got to close the deal. But I think with Smith and his staff from day one in late November making Stratton a priority until now, I think uh, they've gotten themselves out to a nice lead here. So odds are that he could be the first commit of the 2025 class, or is there even another kid that maybe doesn't even have a crystal ball yet? that you can see speeding up this process here. I know I just keep throwing you on the hot seat. No, you're good, you're good. This is what the people come for, Justin. Yeah, so the way that I would describe it is there's probably other people if they could get a little easier than Desmond Stratton sooner, but I don't know if they're in a rush to go ahead and and put the full court press on those kids. So I think Desmond is a good um, kind of balance between good enough where they would definitely push for a commitment and also having enough of a lead where that could materialize into a commitment. But, like, yeah, other than that, like, maybe a Bryson Williams at Orchard Lake St. Mary's who's a receiver, um, that's somebody that they probably could get if they went, like, crazy and tried to get, like, a full-court press on them and stuff like that. But, like, I don't think there's a need for that. And there's, like, other guys at the position, especially nationally, like – you don't want to just go ahead and take all the in-state regional kids that are dying to come to the program and then not even give yourself a chance with some big fish in California and stuff like that. So there's a balance. And because of that, I would probably say Strong's probably the best bet for sure. There we go. 
That wraps up recruiting talk, I think. I mean, it's kind of like a dead period right now. It'll pick back up in April, just like Justin said. But, yeah. Hey, we got to touch base on recruiting because uh, yes. that's, that's what the people want, Justin. They want to hear yeah. your insight over there that you got right. in that brain of yours. So, And, thanks, and one thing that I kind of do want to add, um, looking at, I guess, the exact article, if someone wants to find it, it's Alan True's, uh, the title is Recruiting Notes, Handicapping Intriguing Battles in the State of Michigan. Cool. Um, so Elijah Dotson's the first name you mentioned. That's the defensive back that transferred from U of D Jesuit to Belleville. Yep. Um, so he has, he has yet to play for Belleville, but that's what he'll be in the fall. This is a guy where he has all crystal balls from Michigan, and right. um, he really likes Steve Klinkscale, the DB's coach that uh, Jim Harbaugh pried away to Los Angeles. Yeah. So that's going to hurt Michigan in that regard, and Michigan State's done a great job of kind of building relationships with him. And Dotson was somebody that the last staff didn't really do much with, like didn't offer him, didn't really go after him. So like Smith, so like he feels a great deal of kind of appreciation for Coach Smith and the current staff of Michigan State because of that. I almost made it better because – it was like the offer he couldn't get. And then Smith and the staff comes here and gives it to him. So it almost has a greater appreciation. Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. Right. So I guess shout out to Mel and the staff for, for doing that. Um, <laughs> Let's go. Yes. So, so Michigan State is really, really rising in that recruitment. And that's what Alan writes here. So, like, that's the first name over there. The next game over here, Avery Gatch, who I've been pressing his name, Avery Gack, I of think, course. in previous episodes. But I talked to his dad at a, at a camp in Pontiac a few, few months ago. So Avery Gatch, he is obviously the Birmingham uh, Seahome, uh, or sorry, Birmingham Groves uh, product. That is the offensive tackle that has every offer in the country, essentially right. Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, all them. Um, again, he's a kid that really, really liked the kind of Joe Moore offensive line that Sharon Moore had built at Michigan. And, and just like the development is a development. Like you can't really uh, discount that. And the draft picks are putting in the league at O-line. So though that was like a, I guess, a Michigan and Ohio State flavored recruitment there. And then again, as Alan writes here, Michigan State is starting to muddy the waters a bit. Now, I personally am less optimistic about the chances that Avery ends up coming to Michigan State than pretty much most of the other people in the industry. Okay. I get he's a double legacy, but I know that one of the biggest, most important things to him is winning a national title more gotcha. than like NIL, more than like playing time as a freshman, just like just wants to win. So the last thing in his mind about the Michigan State program is, four and eight season and you can believe in the new coaching staff all you want and things like that but the program is still a good amount of uncertainty there mm -hmm. so again like what i'll say is michigan state now has a way better chance than the previous staff and that's not because they didn't like coach cap which is kind of where the first thing that people's mind would go to the family actually was a big fan of coach cap still are it was okay. most of the direction of the program was uncertain and they believe in these guys a good amount so michigan state doesn't have a lead i wouldn't even say that they're like in the top two just yet but I think they have a better chance now than before. And um, again, like I'm not going to go that deep into it, but like Darren Stray is another name in here. Jaden Savory is another name. Charles White's another name. Bryson Williams, all five of those. Alan writes that Michigan State has made themselves a mainstay in their recruitments. So kind of the picture I wanted to paint here is not even just like me, not even you, like Alan True, as independent as it gets. That's the trajectory. That's the picture everyone's painting is these guys, Midwest guys and state guys, Michigan State is rising with all of them. So that's uh, that's kind of the picture I wanted to paint as we close up this segment of the of the show. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Even in like a recruiting lull in a dead period, 15 minutes of just expertise from Justin Thind <laughs> over there. This is what the people come here for, my man. That's what I'm talking about. Um, hey, should we talk about that game that happened last night in Ann Arbor, which ended up being a Michigan State home game against all yes. odds? Uh, God, that was nice. You know what? We can break this game down. We could talk X's and O's. Hey, who's performing really well? We need to start with a, just a stupid fan, like headed up question here. What was your favorite part of the game, Justin? Because, <laughs> oh, man, I got just a list over here that I can just run through. But it's just what was just the most fun part of the game for you over there? And, <laughs> you know, this is not a moment. It's it's more so something in the back of my mind the whole time. It's every single time that Michigan answered and, and they closed like an eight, like they had like an eight-over run to close out a lead. Yeah. Just sat there thinking like, Man, that's great effort by them, but all this for not because there's no <laughs> way Michigan State doesn't win this game by at least seven points. That's so, cute. Just like, <laughs> like, man, like you got to hand it to them. But like, <laughs> I mean, I guess it's good for you, but like, we know how this is going to end regardless. <laughs> and then I guess the Cohen card dunks were some really nice moments. I, DK had a tweet where he was like, it summed it up perfectly. He was like, Tyson was two steps ahead and he's like sitting there screaming, pass it to him, pass it to him. Then you like catch yourself, like, oh, wait, no, that's Cohen Carr. In two steps, he's going to overtake yeah, him and yeah. go and do like a 360 right. meal, which he didn't do. He's, he kept it normal. I guess he didn't want to accidentally risk missing it and Izzo chewing him out. But I would like a little more sure. spice on the next upcoming dunks. What about you, Matt? What were, what were you most giddy about watching the game? You know, like right after the game, my favorite moments were, of course, the, the hall dunks, the car dunks, and not just mm-hmm. the, the highlight plays themselves, but with the volume on. Like, if you have your eyes closed, you think that that's a game at Breslin Center. Like, Michigan mm-hmm. State fans swarmed Chrysler, okay? Like, that made it so cool just to go into their bar, not just win, but but make it your own living room, essentially. So that was fun after the game. But after a night of sleep, as we're going back thinking about the game, my favorite part of the game might have to be Doug McDaniel exclaiming, mm-hmm. I own this state, <laughs> which, first and foremost, he's from Virginia. If that game was in his state, he wouldn't be able to play the game. So let's just get that <laughs> out of the way. And it's not just that, which was a nice little run, just like you said. Good for them. Nice little 7-0 or 9-0 run. Something that made you say, ah, oh, that was adorable. Look at them trying, this plucky team, just doing their best to get a good win this season. <laughs> but, no, it was after the I own this state exclamation. Davis Smith outscores him the rest of the game from that moment. He did not score the rest of the evening, Justin. Instead, he put Davis Smith on the free throw line with one second left, which, oh boy, it's it's well documented by now that he's not book smart. This is the reason that he's a part-time player, but really questioning if he's even a little bit basketball smart in that point, too. They had the ball to end the half with a tie game, and Michigan State goes in the locker room with a two-point lead. Thanks to uh, a zany turnover and then just fouling him immediately like that. That So what's my favorite moment right now other than the dunks? The, the Doug McDaniel experience was something to behold yesterday. That that was, wow, fascinating. This is the guy that we're, we're missing out on in road games? Like, uh, 
I don't know, man. This guy isn't necessarily Trey Burke over there. So that was uh, some of my favorite moments. Just a, just a really nice watch, though. Well, man, really it's, nice I mean, if 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 that is somebody that is a big piece that they're losing, now you're starting to understand maybe why Juwan is really, really disappointed that maybe two guys that averaged like a combined two points per game were possibly yeah. about to miss this game. And honestly, don't even know if they did or didn't miss the game because that's that's just the star power that who, they that they yield. But who knows? Who who could possibly care? It and of course we have no, to talk no. about the last seven minutes too. Six missed shots for Michigan, six turnovers. And a lot of that had to do with Michigan State, really strong defense. A.J. Hogarth, three steals on the whole game. He had some great moments late in the game. Jaden Akins, he had a great moment defensively late in the game. Mm -hmm. Everyone on defense had really good moments late in the game. Carson Cooper included. Mm -hmm. Because Terrace Reed was a walking bucket for most of that second half. From Mm -hmm. the seven-minute mark to the four-minute mark, Carson Cooper, it wasn't even like on ball when Terrace Reed had the ball, though he did wall him up pretty good in one of those moments. Mm-hmm. He just prevented Reed from even getting the ball. So, right. I mean, even in that three-minute stretch, you got to give a bone to Carson yeah. Cooper. But it's also, too, like a lot of it was Michigan State defensively. Yeah. And a small part of it, too, JT. Like, anyone that's a Michigan State student that has been to IM West on a Sunday morning for some five-on-five run and everyone's just hung over, no one even wants to be there. They're all just kind of just standing around waiting for the other person to do anything. That was Michigan's offense the last seven minutes. Like they they were helpless out there. What you think their head coach is going to help them draw something up, get them going on a last must score possession? Like it, it was just really just out of sorts too for Michigan, and so it was a nice cocktail of both. That's yeah. how you go seven whole minutes of a game without scoring is a really good defense from one end and just complete cluelessness yeah. from the other team on the other end. So thank you, Juwan, for everything you do, man. You guys look like an IM West team hung over as hell out there. So that was uh, that was a nice sight for these eyes too. Very well said. And, and I think one of the one of the more fun things about yesterday and this has been Michigan State for a while so it's not like a new strategy they're employing but like this is probably the one where it directly yielded so many bad passes and and steals the other way it's the way Michigan State hard hedges on the screen where kind of it it takes the the ball handle out of his element making you to kind of have an overhead pass kind of lazy kind of arching kind of like the the passive air under it the way that they hard hedges the screen it yielded so many um I, there was a there was one with Cohen Carr, uh, the one that where he had the dunk. That was yep. literally him reading the pass that there that the guy was going to force to the roller anyway. And like there were so many like that. Like Tyson Walker had one like that. I think Aikens had one like that. Yep. Um, there was the one very early on where they kind of tipped it to Hogard and like Hogard lost the ball like on the outlet pass going down the side with like a couple minutes into the game. That was off of a hard head screen where the point guard still tried to force the pass through like. This is one of the – I know, like, honestly, you do that because you don't have the athletes to switch everything. Like, I understand it's kind of like a, a cheat code, but sure. it was so refreshing and fun to see it play out that way. And every single time Michigan did the same thing of, like, Carson Cooper and primary defender, like, o- over there just, like, suffocating the guy, just throws it overneath <laughs> over anyway, and somebody just walks in and, like, fair catches it and, and catches the ball and <laughs> takes it the other way. Like, it was, like, four or five instances of that, and I don't think I've seen so many easy turnovers on the same blueprint of, of, of a defensive strategy as, as last night. Two great performances offensively, too. You had Tyson mm-hmm. Walker going for 19. Malik Hall, just a casual 18, you know, after a 29-point performance against Penn State. But those two guys uh, turning it on late. And we could also blend this into talking about the Penn State game and even the mm-hmm. Illinois game because it's been that long since we've talked. But yeah, starting to believe in a March run over there, Justin. Is it I, enough? Look, I I know Michigan's I horrible. Okay, like I, I I get that they are atrocious. I get Penn State probably isn't going to be a tournament team, but still, like you've seen some really good things happening. Malik Hall, 
I mean, tell me that's not a senior with some urgency. Absolutely. That's not just like, you know, dumb-headed sports brain takeover here. Like, we've seen that consistently through Tom Izzo's yes. era, that there's a senior that always turns it on late in the season. Well, we're seeing it right here unfold with Malik Hall. Tyson Walker, it's just Tyson Walker. I mean, so is it enough the last three games to have you believe that something special can happen this March? Or do you still need to see something not just against Iowa this week, not just against Ohio State this week, but also at Purdue? Do you have to wait until that long? I don't, Matt. And here's the reason. Because if you look at Michigan State's losses, like you can make excuses for any team's like losses all over the board. Like you can do that if you really wanted to. But like let's let's look at where things stand. They they had a loss at Arizona by six, where they pretty much fought the whole game. I know there was kind of like a vanity second half comeback type of thing there, but like they were not outmatched, right? And Arizona is mm-hmm. not one of the six best teams in the country. I would say one of the few teams that have the ability yeah. to win a national title. Um, and that was a, a or that was a, a neutral side game. Um, their other loss, and we'll obviously put aside the James Madison loss. Like that loss shouldn't have happened. James Madison, we know, is a good team, but still, like, not really yeah. excusable, right? But, like, then you scroll down and you're looking at the next loss is a 13-point home loss to Wisconsin. Legitimate loss. Really no way to spin that. That's, like, a legit loss there. Then you go at Nebraska and you lose by seven. You lose at Northwestern. You lose at Illinois. You lose lose at Wisconsin. You lose at Minnesota. Do you know, Matt, whether or not – well, I guess this question is just going to be a giveaway. Let me just put it this way. I have several (laughs) questions. Top 25 teams. No, sorry. Top 10 teams this year on the road against unranked teams have a sub 500 record this year. It's it's out there. It's a yes. whole bath out there. Yeah. Right. So Michigan State, pretty much all of their losses this year are away or neutral site because the Duke game was neutral site. And then the, I guess the, the Wisconsin loss at home by 13 was kind of, kind of bad. And the James Madison loss was bad outside mm-hmm. of that. Michigan State is following the same trajectory of a season that almost all of the top 10 teams this season have been doing yeah. so yeah sure they're not really outplaying the national narrative of beating teams that like you should go out there your michigan say you should go at minnesota you should win that game period i get that but there's not really anyone doing that like maybe houston might be i haven't really paid attention to kind of their strength of schedule and all that i just know they're the most suffocating defense in the country this year just a record-setting defense but like they're not really doing anything that the rest of the country is not doing when they have these up and down stretches i forgot what game i was watching this would be really helpful for this conversation we're having right now <laughs> but it was old miss for someone last week and the announcers were talking about just like you said all the top 10 teams that are falling right. at a record-breaking clip on the road against unranked teams and the reason for that they pointed to, which I think checks out perfectly, is the age of the transfer portal. Mm. Like, it causes so much parity amongst college basketball. And the announcers were joking that parity used to be a word used by coaches to kind of mask up a bad loss. But, no, like, there's actually legitimate parity now with guys yeah. moving up to a level of competition they can't succeed at or just finding homes very quickly just like that. And we're seeing it, too, with the teams that Michigan State has lost to on the road. So when I'm watching that game last weekend – of course, I'm not going to say that like, oh, no, I take every loss in stride. No, I don't. I've been very upset after a few of these losses. But after listening to that conversation, realizing that it's not just a Michigan State problem, right. it is around the country. And just look at what happened a few hours ago before we started recording, Justin. Purdue just lost mm-hmm. on the road to an Ohio State team yep. who has a guy coaching his first game for the Buckeyes. Like, yep. it, it is crazy out there, even for the best of teams. So, I, like, that brought me a lot of solace last week. Not enough solace where I can remember what team I was actually watching play, but like right. listening to those announcers, it's like, okay, you know what? That that gives me some some relief here right. as we move right. forward here. Tell me if this is something else that could give me relief, mm. Justin. 
and this like just might just sound stupid. It might sound like I'm just trying to talk myself into something here. So truly, like, please just grade me on this take. The Penn State game, you get performances from two players. You also see A.J. Hogarth not have a great game. Tyson Walker not have a great game. Against Michigan, okay, Jaden Akins, really not a great game. A.J. Hogarth, he didn't play a lot in the game because of two early fouls. But in the end, I probably wouldn't grade it a success for him. I'd maybe give right. him a C for that game. That's a long way of saying that two of your big four in this back-to-back wins on the road didn't have great games. Reason to feel optimistic about that, though, because I don't think A.J. Hogarth is going to go the rest of the season with just not playing good. I don't think Jaden Akins is just done playing good basketball. I don't think Tyson Walker is going to have many six-point games. This is a rambling way of saying that, like, hey, imagine if, like, three of these four players and the other two are, of course, Malik Hall um, and then Jaden Akins to complete the four-headed monster. Like, I don't know. You're you're winning, albeit against bad teams, but on the road with just two of your big four playing. What happens if three of the four are got, like, just uh, close your eyes and imagine this. All four playing really good. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know. That's 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 kind of like the, the mystique I have in the air over here. It's like, what if they really get cooking? Absolutely. <laughs> because, because that's kind of what went into what happened at the end of last season. Uh, right. Willie Hall wasn't very consistent, but you swap him out for Joey Hauser in this conversation. And yeah. you have guys that like Tyson Walker here on a given day. Like, I know AJ Hogard was as up and down last year as he was this year, but he was locked in at Mar- in March. Yeah. And you kind of have those variety of options that a lot of schools don't have a lot of teams don't have like for every run where there's a team of like a solid six like for every UConn of last year where it's a well-balanced team with obviously like a skilled big man but like a lot of balance totally there's a there's a Kemba Walker kind of team out there that that just comes in there with one guy I would take this kind of identity any day where you still have a guy like a Tyson Walker or really called that could go for like 25 points but it's Mm -hmm. like you could get like four guys that give you 13. And that honestly hasn't really happened this year for Michigan State. Like there are usually two guys standing out, two guys not, but there's no reason it can't happen. And I guess that's wishful thinking. But part of that is you have seen them go off in different games. Who's to say that March isn't one of the times where they start to put it together and everyone kind of finds the water finds its level. So like, I definitely think that you having those guys gives you the hope of maybe they can all piece it together on the same day. Or like if they don't, two guys just go off for 20, like Aikens and Hall against Penn State. So I think think that's very well said. That the structure of the team is what gives you hope and the ability for so many different guys to go off. And you're probably not going to get anything from the center position, but like you really don't need them to have points output. You just need the offense to not be a black hole like when they get a point post-touch, like like we've been seeing way too much. And – Let's say that, like, say the offense doesn't become a black hole when they get the ball, and that's all the improvement you get out of that position. Fine, just they don't, don't just don't cost us points and possessions. Right. Like that's we. You talk about asking the bare minimum from someone. Just like yeah. just pa- just pass the ball. <laughs> just don't don't do anything. Just don't don't try an offense. Don't yeah. try an offense. I know it's mean to say, but like really, stop. Yeah. Enough. Pass it to the perimeter. Enough. Yeah. Enough. But- yeah, but speaking of the future, Matt, now this is way too in the future and way too many factors go. in between, but kind of just wrapping it up a little off-topic sort of thing. Sure. Successor of Izzo talk, you know, just some talk, topic that people oh, usually God. just have, just stuff like that. I think I think it's years away, but man, is there a favorite in the clubhouse, uh, at least for me? And I guess I can be accused of ha- making him a favorite in the clubhouse in my mind, even before he warranted it, but Chris Valentine. <laughs> oh, sorry. Okay. My yeah. Bad. Um, yeah. Him too. Um, the thing is, Drew Valentine. 
last year, uh, the Atlantic 10 was the, the first year for Loyola Chicago to play in the Atlantic 10. Yep. Don't necessarily know where they finished in, in the standings, but it was very close to the bottom. Yeah. This year, they have won nine of their last 10 in the Atlantic 10. They're in first place. Another double-digit win today against Rhode Island. Yep. Also, they have landed two top 100 recruits in the last week. We're talking about Loyola Chicago. We're talking about a, an Atlantic 10 program. Right. Now, granted, they've made a Final Four. They've made a Sweet 16 run under Porter Moser. Um, Drew Valentine's first season in the um, Ohio Valley Conference. Very, very skilled. Um, obviously, with their roster, they made a nice run, too. They made the tournament. But, like, you don't get top 100 recruits at Loyola Chicago. Like, that's just you, not You sure don't. Do. No. Right. <laughs> and not just there, really at any Atlantic 10 school. So what they have done here this season, like it took Drew and his staff one year to figure out jumping from um, a, a mid-major conference to a better mid-major conference, which people might be like, oh, that's all the same thing. Mid-major, they're not in the Big Ten. Like it's it must be easy everywhere. The facilities and the resources and the money, the differences that you have from level to level is a huge difference. So what Drew and his staff, and there's some Spartans on that former staff. So obviously um, that gives you even more rooting interest, but just can't say enough about what Drew and, and those guys have done. And one year to figure out the Atlantic 10, recruiting at unprecedented levels for the Atlantic 10. Just coach of the year this year for sure. I don't think there's any doubt. Hopefully he keeps coaching. And we'll see, I guess, if, if someone comes after him this offseason or if someone comes after him next offseason, if he does. Don't think that's any reason to worry for Michigan State. It just gives him a chance to prove himself at a slightly higher job. And uh, we'll go from there, I guess, when, when Coach Izzo is ready to hang it up. But I don't think that'll be for a few years still. The winning's been impressive. Obviously, the recruiting is something to yeah. behold over at Loyola. Um, two top 100 recruits again, like that can't be stressed enough how impressive that is. Yeah. But has a way with the transfer portal. Three of his top six scores are from the transfer portal that he has gotten, including his mm -hmm. highest score and his third highest score. So, hey, if you're a Spartan fan, like me at times, uh, that's crime. Let's start using this transfer portal because this is the day and age of basketball. Talk about a guy that gets it. Yeah, I think Drew Valentine understands what it takes to win in today's college basketball. To do it that quickly in the A-10, a new conference, yeah. and not like some schmuck conference. Like, there are some teams mm -hmm. in the A-10, man. Like, it is wildly impressive. And I know that, hey, when he went to Loyola, it was hypothesized, oh, hey, maybe coaching waiting. This is fun to imagine. Mm -hmm. it, 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 it's actually, like, becoming real now. Yeah. <laughs> like, whether it's this offseason, whether it's in 2035 when Tom Izzo steps away yep. finally, Justin, who knows? Uh, but, yeah, that is probably right now, if things stand right now, if Tom Bizzo just said, hey, I'll go out with a win against Michigan. Yeah. Like, uh, it's, probably, <laughs> it's probably Drew Valentine. It's probably next man up in in just my non-expert opinion. So it has to be. It has yeah. to be. Yep. And, and, by the way, both of the top 100 recruits, international product. So, they're just oh, – they got it all, man. Go. Transfer portal recruiting, international recruiting. Uh, the kid they landed today, he did spend a year at IMG, so it's not technically – didn't go all the way over to yeah. Europe to find him, but mostly played in Europe. So, just well. got it all, man. And don't forget the shoe game, social media usage. Um, certainly can't hurt with recruiting. But key is he's, he's coupled it with substance more than anything. So that's that's the key. So uh, with that, that does it, I believe, for this week's episode of the SD for All show. Is that correct, Matt? Uh, what a weekend, Justin. Yeah, this is this has been a, a hoot and a half. Shout out to Robin Freilich, sweeping Michigan in her first year here as a women's basketball coach. Big hockey series coming up this weekend. We're going to be back later this week. Maybe we'll elaborate on the hockey outlook for the last yeah. four games of the regular season. But uh, things are looking pretty good on the ice. Don't want to say too much, but uh, hey, four-point lead with four games to go against Wisconsin. And you are welcoming in a bottom-of-the-basement Ohio State team for your 
home finale this regular season. So uh, don't want to get too excited, but things are looking good right now. Yes, sir. And with that, appreciate everyone for tuning in to this week's episode of the SD4L show. Um, we will also probably be back again later this week, um, but make you sure to like and subscribe and um, make sure to comment for the algorithm and appreciate everyone yeah. for tuning in and we will see you next time. Appreciate it.